We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by The Bear Report, your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Usaid Koshal. Usaid, we are finally here. We are getting to the point where we are wrapping up our position breakdowns and previews for the 2021 NFL Draft. We were recording this episode on Friday, April 16th, so I think we only have 13 days until the draft starts um, in Cleveland on April 29th, I believe. So it's wild that we're getting to this point right now, so close to the draft, about two weeks away. How are you doing today, man? I am doing well. You mentioned it about 13 days away i was actually thinking i'm like oh my god we next week at this time or in two weeks at this time we're gonna know what the bears first round pick since 2018 has been and i think that this year's a total it's gonna be a complete toss-up just because at least in years past under ryan pace when the bears have had a first round pick we've been able to say like oh these are the significant needs that they have and this is where we think that they're going to spend the pick. But this year, it's just like, it's a complete toss-up, man, I feel like this year, even though I'm leaning towards quarterback in round one. But how are you? Yeah, doing good. And it's really excited, really, when you, when you break it down here. Because like you said, the Bears, looking at the draft, they can go in so many directions with this thing in the first round. Because, I mean, talk about, you know, I personally, if they're not going to be trading for a quarterback, I like them to go off into tackle, which we're going to be talking about today or 
the wide receiver cornerback would be options as well. But we know that the big story with them is are they going to be able to trade up for a quarterback in this year's class? And I think that's something that we're going to be following pretty much up until they either make the trade or pick at 20. Um, interesting note here, you know, we talked about in our last episode how Justin Fields was having his second pro day uh, to throw for coaches and scouts and NFL teams in general. It's interesting because the Bears, they originally said that they weren't going to have anybody, or I should say it was reported that they did not have anybody there at the workout. But lo and behold, we see a picture of the workout there, and there's Matt Nagy along with Kyle Shanahan, um, you know, watching Justin Fields work out at, at his pro days. So pretty interesting to see him there um, at Justin Fields' pro days, kind of getting a closer look at him. You know, you would expect him to do so because, you know, who knows at this point, what unfolds here with these quarterbacks here, but it's very possible that Justin Fields could be in for a drop here for some inexplicable reason if he gets past the 49ers at three. So I, I think it's smart to do as much due diligence there as possible. But, you know, what are your thoughts on Matt Nagy being at the workout? And do you think that is it a sign or anything or just, you know, Matt Nagy doing what is necessary just to, you know, get as much information as possible as we head into this draft here? Yeah, I think it's significant here because this is, again, the second Ohio State Pro Day. And the first one, we didn't see Ryan Pace there. And I bring Ryan Pace up into this because ultimately he's going to be the guy who's pulling the trigger on quarterback. But the first time that Ohio State had a Pro Day, Alabama had a Pro Day at the same time. And we did not see any Matt Nagy or Ryan Pace at the first OSU Pro Day. But we do know that the Bears had some representation there, just according to some reports that were floating out there. Now, all of a sudden, in the second pro day, you add in the fact that Matt Nagy was personally caught on camera there, which if you're wondering what the whole story was for our listeners, Ohio State's official Twitter football account tweeted something out of Matt Nagy standing next to Kyle Shanahan. Nagy being there is significant because I think he has the loudest voice in the room right now when it comes to the quarterback position. At Hallow. So I think we have to understand something is that the staff that Nagy's assembled between the 2020 offseason and this offseason, it's specifically dedicated to guys that are former quarterbacks. Bill Lazor's been a quarterbacks coach in this league. John filippo has been a quarterbacks coach in this league. Ultimately, when we look at that, we realize that the Bears are relying on Nagy more so than Pace to figure out quarterbacks. So I'm not really surprised that Nagy was at the OSU Pro Day. I do think it holds a lot of weight because if Fields begins to fall, we've seen that Pace is not afraid to trade up for any prospect. Yeah, I like the point you make there about Matt Nagy maybe having a little bit more pull in the room there for uh, Bears' draft strategy when it comes to quarterback specifically. I think his input's going to be very important as well because, you know, obviously he wasn't here the last time the Bears were looking to draft a quarterback when they selected Mitch Trubisky in the 2017 NFL draft. And when you look at things here with Matt Nagy, obviously – we saw how that didn't work with Mr. Trubisky in terms of just wasn't a great fit there overall. So if you want to make this work as for Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, you know that those two are linked together in this entire thing. You know, if, if the Bears struggle this next year and um, it winds up that, you know, they might want to make a change there, it's likely that both of them are going to be out the door here. So if you're Ryan Pace, the general manager, you want to make sure that Matt Nagy is getting a quarterback that he is comfortable with and that he thinks he can work with. Um, so that is, I think where that comes into play there. So I'm excited to see, you know, what that means because, you know, Matt Nagy, you know, he's had his 
know, struggles, I guess, as a, as a head coach. He's had his, his challenges as a head coach, I think, to be sure. But I, I am excited to see what he values in a quarterback here that now that he's looking to actively draft one um, and, you know, what that means here. You know, that could be a scary thought for Bears fans uh, because, you know, there's a lot of negativity around Nagy as of right now and just the entire in the entire Bears situation in general with where they are at as an organization. But, you know, it, it, it's very interesting because they could go a lot of direction here. They could go with Justin Fields if he, if he falls. Trey Lance, I think, is going to be an under-the-radar option for them because, you know, when you have a guy like Andy Dalton there, you know, signed for a one-year deal, that does give you an opportunity to where you can sit a guy like Trey Lance who needs some time to, you know, get ready for the NFL level, you know, transferring uh, over from – North Dakota State or coming from North Dakota State, I should say a small level of competition, needing a year or two developer. So, and then, you know, the wild card here is Mac Jones, you know, where does he fall in all of this? So I, there are a lot of options here for the bears. You know, personally, I would be against a trade for Mac Jones, but um, yeah, if and one of fields or Lance is available for you there in the top 10, don't be surprised. I think for, you know, bears fans, you know, we can get this to this in a, in a later episode when, you know, we're actually doing more to, predict and break down the drafts here as we get closer to that but uh yeah it, it really opens up a lot of possibilities i think and that's where things start to get exciting yet terrifying at the same time as a bears fan i definitely agree and i mentioned earlier how it's kind of a total toss-up in terms of just the way that the bears could go in the first round we also have to keep in mind is that the 20th overall pick is the I mean, latest first round pick that the Bears have ever had under Ryan Pace as GM, because you look at the 20, the first round picks from 2015 to 2018, every single one of those was top 10. And the one that wasn't top 10 was 2016, but Pace jumped into the top 10 to go ahead and make that a top 10 pick. Now, I think another thing we have to keep in mind here is this is when we're talking about the Bears in a first round pick. Every single first round pick that Pace has had, again, from 2015 to 2018, he's tried to trade up for, or he's tried to trade up with, or he has traded up, essentially, is what's happened. I mean, 2017, 2015, they moved up from, they tried to move up to grab Marcus Mariota. 2016, they traded up two spots for Leonard Floyd. We all know what happened with 2017 and Trubisky. 2018, there were reports of the Bears picking at eighth overall and trying to jump up into the top five to grab a player. And then there were reports that same night that they were trying to move back into the first round to grab another wide receiver. I think ultimately when you look at that, the way that the stars are aligning here is that I think we're going to see a trade up for a quarterback. It's just a matter of who it's going to be. And I think right now you could argue this as well, that the bears draft plans hinge on what the 49ers do at third overall, because if you're the bears and field slips past the 49ers, then you're on the phone with Atlanta immediately. Right. But if fields does not slip and you have Lance or you have, and you're going to have Lance and Jones left at that point, you probably are going to ask yourself, do I want to pull the trigger on a trade right now? Or do I want to see if one of these guys slips just a bit more so I can save myself a bit of draft capital in 2021 as well as in 2022, but still make the trade up for a quarterback. Yeah, certainly a lot of possibilities to get through there. And, you know, we have a lot of time to get to that in the upcoming weeks, but I think this is a good time to focus now our, our attention to this the topic of today's episode. And that's like what I said before, we are finishing up our preview series for 
the 2021 NFL draft. So exciting here. Um, so what we're going to be doing is breaking down the offensive tackle class, you know, just a preview for that. This offensive tackle. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Class, we talked about a bunch, I think, on this podcast, how this should be a big need for the Bears. And, you know, it's a great year, I think, if you're a team that needs an offensive tackle or even if you don't need an offensive tackle to draft an offensive tackle because this is a loaded group, um, you know, almost historic in a sense because I don't know if it's, it's as talented as the top of last year's class, but the depth in this class, the versatility in terms of the diversity of prospects that you could go after in this class um, – it's really exceptional when you look at it here. So I'm really excited to break these guys down and get into that. We're going to do a few things different for this one, but before we get into that, uh, we're going to take our first break of the show and take a step away here real quick. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. All right, starting off our offensive tackle breakdown here for the 2021 NFL Draft, we're going to do something a little bit different here. So usually what we do is we give our top five, uh, uh, you know, players at each position for these position breakdowns but with this class being such a loaded group up top you know we have to do it a little bit differently here so what i think we should do here you say it is first of all go over our tiers of prospects here in terms of where these offensive tackles were lie primarily looking at guys that we think will be going in the first round so i'll start with you how do these offensive tackles shake up for you in terms of you know your tier one guys tier two guys and who you think is going to be in the conversation when we get to draft night here of being a first round pick, because, you know, me personally, I'll just, a little spoiler, I could see as many as seven being a possibility in the first round. Uh, how many do you see at this point? I see five or six. I think seven could be a bit stretching it, but definitely five or six. And I think when you look at the way that this class lines up, my top five and my tier one is this. You have Panay Sowell from Oregon, who played at left tackle in college, but there's a report that came out on Friday morning talking about how he's also prepping to play some right tackle at the NFL level because that is a possibility. And what I like about Sewell is this, is 
physical in the run game. He's got great footwork in space. His athleticism is off the charts. And then I believe he's just 20 years old. So he's got the highest ceiling and is still the most complete tackle prospect of any of these other guys that we're going to talk about here today. Number two, I have Christian Derisaw from Virginia Tech. I think really a future franchise left tackle. The size, the length, the mobility needed to thrive in the NFL for a left tackle is present when you watch Derisaw on tape. And just the improvement from year one to two to three in college, that was visible on tape. Great footwork, has excellent hand strength that's needed to take on bigger edge rushers. He really shuts them down. But one thing Darison needs to do is he has to learn to just play through the whistle and finish plays. Number three, kind of a Chicago kid here, Northwestern's Rashawn Slater. His biggest game came in 2019 when he shut Chase Young down. Slater's not going to be the most athletic guy on the field, but he's got great footwork, excellent technique. I mean, has started about 40 games since 2017. And then actually started 12 games as a right tackle back in 2017 as well. Now, when I look at Slater, the biggest question I have for him is this. He's six foot four, about 315. Looking at his 33-inch arms, is he going to be a player that is going to be playing on the edge at the next level? Or do some teams kind of view him as being someone that's just solely going to be an interior offensive lineman? I think that's an intriguing question to ask with Slater. But for this draft, I do view him as being a franchise caliber left tackle. And then number four, a guy that's really taken off here over the last couple of weeks, Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State. When you look at his career at Oklahoma State, you realize that he's played pretty much everywhere on the offensive line. He's got really strong hands, so he shuts down edge rushers with ease, all right? Really great operator on the second level. Great footwork. And Jenkins' biggest asset probably is his size as well as how powerful he is because he does not allow a lot of people to get past him. And then number five, I have Sam Cosme from Texas. Has played both left tackle and right tackle. Is a pretty good run blocker, all right? I look at his measurables. I see a player with really long arms because he's about six foot seven, 300 pounds, right around there. So he's not going to let bigger edge rushers at the next level kind of just consistently get around him. I think overall with Cosme to wrap up tier one here for me, everything is there to be a great left tackle at the next level. But the question is, can he put it all together? Yeah. So I kind of did my tiers a little bit differently here in terms of where I see them. So my tier one um, is really going to be only one player and that's Panay Sewell. Uh, for my number one tackle in this class, you know, like you said, he kind of alluded to this here. This guy only, I think, 20 years old going into this thing. So he is extremely young. I mean, he was playing, he was starting, I think, at Oregon as a 17 year old freshman, I believe, if I have that correctly. So, I mean, you talk about someone that is just an absolute freak of a, you know, talent. I mean, Panay Sewell is as good as it gets. You know, maybe he's not, doesn't have quite the length that you'd like to see from some of these guys at tackle. Um, maybe a little bit on the shorter side there, but in terms of the athleticism, uh, the power at the point of attack, you know, he still got to clean some things up at, you know, from a technique standpoint, but remember the last time we saw him on tape, he was 19 years old, I think. So I, the fact that he's a little bit raw on some of his technique and still that dominant kind of shows the type of upside and floor that he has. So Sewell, he's to me, the number one tackle in this class isn't really close. In my opinion, I just think the upside is too great. Uh, you know, for him there. I think he's an easy top five pick. If you're the Bengals at number five, 
I would not let him if he's available at number five for the Bengals, like they should be sprinting up to the table to get their card in because he's just what they need. And like you said, working at left tackle or right tackle, they drafted Jonah Williams a couple of years ago. So maybe they feel good about him at left tackle. Well, guess what? They still need a right tackle long-term. So Pene Sewell uh, could fit the bill there, I think uh, for them going to my tier two guys, I have three players here and it's interesting because you know, I, my number two guy, I kind of took the order here with uh, Rashawn Slater and Christian Darasaw. So Slater, uh, very intriguing player because while I think he can be a very good to great tackle in the NFL, he could be like, an, like a dominant guard, I think, or even center. He can play all five positions on the offensive line. So that's really his main thing is he's a versatile player that can play all five positions along the offensive line at a very high level. Like he could be a very good left tackle, but I could see him easily being an immediate, like plug and play all pro caliber guard in the NFL, just because, you know, some of the things that stand out for me here, here with him is he's probably got the most explosive um, first step in this class in terms of getting to the second level on run blocking. I mean, his ability to get out in space and, you know, block linebackers and safeties and get in the right position and get these guys in space it's special. It's very rare to see that from these types of players here. It's almost reminiscent of Trent Williams, uh, now playing for the 49ers, but formerly of the Washington football team. Uh, just freakish ability to get to the second level. Now, what separates Trent Williams maybe from Rashawn Slater that is that you know Slater doesn't have quite the length or size that Williams had coming out of college. So maybe you kind of knock him there. That's why he's in my tier two, because I do question the length a little bit, but it didn't, you know, affect him that much at college at Northwestern. He was still able to hold his own against some of the top edge rushers in the Big Ten. You know, talking about Chase Young in 2019 when they faced Ohio State. Uh, Slater didn't have too many reps against Young in that game, but the few chances he did have, he shut him down for the most part. So uh, Slater, I think he's a top 10 talent in this class, just uh, very good overall. Even if you don't see him as a tackle, at the very least, you have a Pro Bowl caliber guard right away, I think, in the NFL because he ha- he has a lot of great trades to him. Uh, Christian Darisaw, he's my number three guy here at Virginia Tech. So Darisaw is very interesting because, you know, a lot of people I see, I see them putting him at number two like you did so yourself. The reason why I have Slater over uh, Darisaw at the moment is that Darisaw, I have some questions about him and pass protection because we know he's a dominant run blocker. He can get to the second level. He's perfect for his zone scheme. But he also has the power at the point of attack to hold up any power gap scheme, in my opinion, as well. He's that's that's his best trait. He's a best. He's a great run blocker, and he has the needed length, uh, the athleticism you talked about there, the strength to hold up. I think that kind of projects well to him as a pass protector. But the thing is, he has very limited tape on him as a pass protector here. So that's the one thing that worries me about Darisaw. You know, Virginia Tech's offense they didn't open themselves up to uh, true pass sets it's a lot of short sets there so how is he how is he going to fare on true pass sets where he has to gain depth and make sure he's defending the edge against some of these speedier edge rushers because some of the things i noticed about him his feet are a bit clunky at times i think when he is asked to do those traditional pass sets and it can look a bit awkward for him at times so that's something he's going to have to work on but you like the arm length you like the pure size you like the run blocking ability you like the athleticism moving in space so those are a lot of great traits to build off of there. I think his guy, you know, I think the floor for him is the Chargers 
at 13. I don't think he gets past 13 with the Chargers there because he's just – he need offensive linemen really badly. They're desperate for offensive line help, and I think he'd be a good fit for what they want to do there. And then number four and number five here, keeping in my two, two, tier two players, I kind of go back and forth here. You know, So in my number four right now, it's Samuel Cosby out of Texas, and my number five is Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State. But you could – honestly, you could probably flip these two based off of what you need because Cosme, if you want to left tackle, then you're probably going with him as your number four guy. If you need a right tackle though, that's your main need. Tevin Jenkins is the way to go there. So, you know, two completely different styles here of tackles. Cosme, um, just a completely freak show of, of an athlete here at the left tackle spot, three-year starter, got better each and every season at Texas. Um, you know, where he makes his money here as a prospect is in pass protection. He's got very quick feet, uh, very agile moving in space, and his technique is a little bit all over the place, but it works for him, at least at the college level. So, I mean, you look at some of his reps against some of the better edge rushers, uh, both in this class and against the last year's class in 2019, he held his own very well. And, you know, his run blocking, yeah, could use some work in terms of getting more muscle on his frame. He does need to add more weight, I think, to handle power rushers at the next level. But he does bring a little level of nastiness to his game that I think will be appreciated at the next level while he's developing that technique a little bit. Tevin Jenkins, though, on the other hand, he's kind of the opposite because he's more of a Mahler type of guy. Whereas Sam Cosmo, more of an athletic finesse type of guy, uh, Jenkins is just pure power at the point of attack. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for fun tape, you know, go watch his tape against Texas where he absolutely dominated Joseph Asai in that matchup the entire time. There's a clip, I think, I don't know if it was against Osai or not, but uh, he took Joseph Asai or, you know, one of the outside linebackers from Texas, literally like blocked him into the bench area for um, Texas there. Like it was one of the most ridiculous reps you'll see on a, on a run block um, in this class. And, you know, I think in many other drafts, these two guys would be going top 10, but because there's so much depth here in this class, they're probably going to be slipping to where the Bears are at at 20. So if you're looking at the two top options, these are the two top guys, I think, if you're the Bears looking for an offensive tackle at 20, that'll be available to them there. So Jenkins, I think he can switch over to left tackle, but if you have to keep him at right tackle, that's fine too. Uh, Like I said, very good power at the point of attack, just an absolute nasty physical demeanor to him. You like all that stuff. So those are my top two tiers of tackles in this class. And then we get into tier three here because I have, you know, one guy here, Dylan Redunds of North Dakota State, really impressed at the senior bowl, a guy that had some questions about whether he could put on weight and anchor um, against the next level of competition because he was a little bit light um, while playing at North Dakota State in 2019. But he showed at the senior bowl that, you know, his anchor is fine. He put on, it seems like a lot of weight going into that. And that really helped him out because his core strength and lower body strength really showed up at the senior bowl, he was able to anchor perfectly. And I think that put him into the first round here. I don't know if he'll be um, going as high as like 20 to where the bears are at, but I think he will be a first round pick when it's all said and done. And then one more guy here, I'll mention here as a tier three offensive tackle in this class for me, uh, Liam Eichenberg out of Notre Dame. Now he doesn't have the highest ceiling in the world. He's kind of like one of those guys where it's a high floor, low ceiling, you know what you're getting out of him, but probably don't expect too many, too much upside there. Um, Eichenberg, he's kind of limited athletically, not the longest player in the world, but multi-year starter at Notre Dame, very technically sound, just very solid overall, uh, 
good power at the point of attack, good use of good hand usage overall. Um, I don't know if he's a first round talent, in my opinion. To me, he's more of a second round guy, but it wouldn't surprise me if your team, like say the Kansas City Chiefs, that are looking for instant impact at left tackle. They need a guy that can step in right away and start. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Liam Eikenberg, they see him as a guy that uh, they can step in day one and be a solid starter for them. That's where I see him as. You know, I would prefer to take him in the second round, but he's an option there as well, I think, late first round. Let me expand on Eichenberg and Rudun as I kind of get into my tier two and tier three here. I think both of them, I view them as similar players. Both guys that are athletically limited, they have some limitations to their game. I really think with Eichenberg, he's better in the run game than he is as a pass protector. Granted, he did do a pretty good job. He has done a good job over the last couple of years protecting Ian Book at Notre Dame. And then when I look at Redunds, he was traditionally just a right tackle in college. Pretty good athleticism. And I really think the big aspect of Redun's game that sticks out is that he moves very well and then my final guy here for tier two and tier three is actually Jackson Carmen from Clemson you look at him I think he's one of the biggest guys in this class because he's like six foot five six foot six about 350 pounds really powerful as a run blocker and then kind of held his own down just as a guy who was protecting Trevor Lawrence's blind side over the last couple of years and then another thing with Carmen is this. He's got great hand technique. I think ultimately when I look at Eichenberg, Carmen, and Reduns, both of them for me, because of some of the other guys that we've seen emerge and a lot more information that we've seen just come out over the last couple of weeks between February and March, I view both of them as being, or all three of them actually, as being second round prospects. But with that said, I think that they'll be quality starters from day one wherever they end up landing. Yeah, Carmen's an interesting player because it's really – I'm unclear where he'll go in this draft because I've seen mocks, you know, him being mocked as high as the first round, but I've seen a lot of people that are lower on him and seeing more it's like a third-round, fourth-round talent. So it's very interesting there because Carmen's kind of, you know, one of those guys where he's big, um, a guy that's going to be physical in the run game. I think a lot of teams may see him as maybe a guard the next level because, you know, you look at some of – let's say his last game against Ohio State, for instance – he just could not handle the speed rush of Ohio State's pass rushers on the edge. Just could not handle it at all in that game. You know, that could be a problem for him. His foot speed is a little bit below average there. But the things that are good about him, power in the run game, ability to get out in space a little bit there, and, you know, shield defenders off to create lanes for running backs there. Uh, those are all good stuff. So Carmen is a guy that has physical tools to work with. Can you get his feet to a, to a point to where – he can't handle some of the speed rushers there because, you know, that's going to be a big thing for him at the NFL level when you're facing guys like Von Miller, for instance, you know, Brian Burns of the world. You know, can you handle that speed off the edge um, for guys that want to turn the corner on you? So that's that's my main concern with Carmen. And we'll get to it a little bit later. There are some other guys that are kind of like that as well that kind of concern me in that aspect of things. Well, I kind of I have concerns about that with Eichenberg as well, to be quite frank, you know, even though Eichenberg is technically sound with his footwork, you know, he's not the most athletic or quickest guy in the world. So that could be an issue there um, when you think about that. So, yeah, I, I think for me, like I said before, there's about six or seven guys here that I think are going to be in the first round conversation. You know, are there any other names that you want to throw out there as well? Because, you know, I've seen as many as like nine or 10 names that have been thrown around in the first round conversation. Is there anyone else for you that maybe you don't have there as a first round pick, but 
you wouldn't be surprised going in the first round when we get there um, on draft night. Not really. I think these guys just about cut it for me, the eight that I mentioned. I just do not see a draft where we see 10 guys, 10 offensive tackles going in round one because like we've mentioned, yes, this is a very deep draft class. But then we also have to understand that there are guys like Jalen Mayfield, who I know you'll get into later in the show, so I'm not going to get into it right now. You have these guys like Jalen Mayfield who – if they can clean some things up, then they're going to be surefire first-round talents. But for where they're at right now, you just don't see it. Or even another guy would be like Alex Leatherwood, for example. So overall, I have eight guys with first-round grades right now, but I don't even see all eight going in round one. I see more of five or six of them going in round one all across the board, and then a couple going in round two. Yeah, and I think that's a good point for us to kind of transition here from some of our top guys to some of our sleepers because, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, this is a loaded class in terms of depth. If you're looking for, you know, players on the third, fourth round, I mean, these guys will be going quickly, don't get me wrong, but, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to find some of these guys in the third or fourth round that could develop into potential starters here because, uh, like, like you said before, I mean, this is a talented class, but that could actually benefit you because that could push some of these guys down the board a little bit to where they might go a bit earlier in, in most other classes. So, uh, you know, starting with our sleepers here, you said, uh, who is your first sleeper here? We'll go a little bit different here and go with two sleepers. So you said, who is your first sleeper here in this class? My number one sleeper is Florida Gators right tackle. Let's just say offensive tackle stone Forsyth. I mean, a player that has played at both left tackle and right tackle. He said this tidbit at his pro day that NFL teams don't know where he's going to play at the next level. So they've asked, Hey, are you more comfortable playing left or right tackle? And he kind of replied with, look, I'm good with playing wherever. When I look at Forsyth, you realize the guy is massive. He's about six foot nine. And essentially he really has learned over the last few years using the frame to his advantage because he's got more length than a lot of these guys or a lot of the other counterparts in this offensive tackle class. And essentially his length, I think allows him to create some extra distance in his stance. All right. He's got a very good punch already and some great reach as well, which means that he's just able to really keep defenders locked out. Ultimately Forsyth is a player right now that I think is probably going to go in round three. Yeah, fourth size is, is pretty interesting because he's a guy that's kind of seen a bit of a rise recently. Like he was a guy that a lot of people weren't talking about until it seems like the last couple of weeks or so. And that's when I started going back to watch him too. And some of the things that I really like about him is if you're looking for like purely a good pass protector on the left or right side, I mean, he fits the bill in the third round, like you mentioned, uh, you know, has good length, good size, uh, very good power at the point of attack, and he moves his feet very well for such a big guy. So those are some of the things you like about him. I think he's a guy that can hold up, I think, right away in the NFL in pass protection. He's going to have his struggles, obviously, against some of the better edge rushers in this league. That goes without saying, but I think he, def- he could definitely hold his own on day one in that aspect of things. Where the questions come in here for me is run blocking. He's very raw there. You know, I've seen comparisons to Nate Solder coming out of college for him. So as a tall, kind of lengthy, uh, pass-protecting tackle that maybe has some struggles in the run game, I can definitely see that as well with Forsyth. Uh, but I, I like him. He's a guy that I, I'm a little bit late to, to be quite quite honest. But 
there's a lot to like there, um, in, in my opinion. Uh, for my first guy here, this is somebody that I noticed down at the Senior Bowl and was able to go back and, you know, there's a little limited tape on him overall, but from the one, so, some of the tape I have seen, there's a lot to like here. And one of the reasons why he's a sleeper for me, and that's Deontay Smith out of East Carolina. So what's interesting about Smith here for me is you know, he's a very light player. He's playing, he played around 270, 280 pounds while in college. And that's obviously not going to work out for him at the next level. You need to get that weight up. Uh, if you're going to survive on the edge there. Um, so he got his weight up to about 295, 290 pounds at the senior bowl. And what I liked about him there is it didn't really affect his athleticism one bit. So even though he's a bit of a smaller guy as of right now, weight-wise, it didn't affect him in terms of, you know, holding up against power, anchoring uh, against bull rushes. Uh, he, he really held his own very well there, I thought. And he showed off the athleticism a pretty polished technique, all things considered. Uh, Smith is a guy that has, I think has a lot of upside here. It's going to take him a while. He played at a small level competition. Like I said, he needs to put on more weight at the next level. He's going to have to get up to, I think, 305, 310 range. But some of the things you like about him, 35-inch arms, I believe. So that's exceptional length um, for the left tackle position there on the outside. Uh, very good foot speed overall. Very good quick feet, now very sound technically in terms of the footwork there. So there's a lot to like with Deontay Smith. And I think if he can go to the right situation where he can sit and develop for a year and bulk up a little bit in the NFL training room, he could be a stud at the next level. I, I, I really believe that because the physical athleticism tools are there. The length is there. It's just a matter of coaching and getting that weight and getting uh, you know physically ready for the NFL. Smith's a very interesting player because you alluded to some of this. I mean, pretty athletic, does need to add some weight to his frame if he's going to be able to hold his own against some of these guys at the next level. But then you look at it, all right? Really good mobility, hand, pretty good hand usage as well, right? Able to use his hands properly, knows exactly where to place them. I really think another aspect of his game is pretty good pad level as well. I think if a team's going to draft Smith, he's going to be a day two or early day three draft pick. They're just going to have to be really patient because they have to understand that, all right, we're not dealing with a player that is NFL ready, unlike some of these other names that we've mentioned. Smith's going to be a guy who I think will take at least two to three years to maximize his full potential. But you're right. The upside there is just so prevalent. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of a guy with upside, who is your second sleeper in this class? My second sleeper in this class would be Notre Dame offensive tackle Robert Hainsey. When I look at Hainsey, experience is definitely there. All right. He started for three or four years slowly at right tackle. And he's not, he may not be super physically gifted, but a player that I think is very technically refined. All right, the length is definitely there. I think that overall, Hainsey, just keep it short and sweet here. He's going to be a player who, in any type of zone read offense is or zone rushing offense, I should say, that's where he's going to be at his best. One area that he also needs to improve is just adding more strength to his frame to allow him to take on the bigger defenders that he's going to see at the next level. Yeah, Hainsey's... Uh a weird situation there because he played right tackle at Notre Dame, but I think many teams may see him as a guard just due to a lack of athleticism, but I covered him in our interior offensive line 
uh, podcast. He's a guy that I really like. I think he's a very technically sound player. And if he goes to the right offense where he doesn't have to get out in space too much, uh, that could help him out a little bit because uh, you do like the pass protection technique he showed at the Senior Bowl. Uh, there's a lot to like there with Hainsey. Another guy at the Senior Bowl that I'll, I'll add here for my second sleeper, uh, Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa. This is a guy that just freak show athlete. I, there's a lot of the, I've said that a lot in this podcast, but uh, Brown especially. Look at a guy who's about six foot eight, three hundred and ten pounds, about, and I mean he blew it away at his pro day in terms of uh, some of the testing numbers there. He had one of the I think he might have had the fastest three cone drill out of any offensive tackle prospect ever. I, I might be wrong on that, but it's at least up there. Uh, he was just ridiculous uh, with his workout. I think he scored a perfect, un, I think unofficially a perfect relative athletic score. Uh, just he's an insane athlete overall for the position. And he combines that with exceptional size and length as well. Now he does need to add more weight. And that was something at the senior bowl that he did struggle with a little bit. You know, he struggled with guys, first of all, getting under his pads a little bit, which is going to be a struggle for him as a taller tackle in general. Um, so he did struggle with guys getting under him a little bit in their bull rush and, and pushing him back into the pocket a little bit. But he also had struggles with oversetting to the outside and allowing inside counter moves. So those are some things that need to be cleaned up. But if you're looking for a right tackle, left tackle prospect here, you played right tackle in Northern Iowa, but he can play left tackle. Um, he spoke to me a little bit at his pro day and kind of said that, you know, teams kind of see him playing either right or left tackle is what it sounds like. You know, but the thing there, he's a guy that will be a bit of a project here. There's a lot to work with there overall, though. Um, I think in many other years, he'd be in consideration for a first-round pick because the athletic profile is just insanely good. Uh, he, he, he compares very favorably and, you know, comparatively speaking, to Colton Miller, who, if you remember, was a first-round pick to the Raiders, I believe, back in 2018, I think it was, or it was either 2018 or – yeah, yeah, it was 2018, uh, Colton Miller – to the Raiders there, and it took him a, a year to get adjusted to the NFL as a you know taller, lengthier, athletic, but kind of undersized guy in terms of weight, especially in the core and lower, lower body. Uh, but once he got that figured out, he's been a stud for the for the Raiders ever since. So uh, Spencer Brown, very similar physical profile, and if he gets that chance to where he doesn't have to start right away here as a third round pick, I think is a sweet spot for him. Uh, he could be, there's a lot of upside there with Spencer Brown. He could be a very good player at the next level. It's just a matter of, you know, can he work on getting low in his stance so that pass rushers aren't getting under him too much, you know, getting some sand in his pants, so to speak, you know, getting stronger in the lower body. So he's not getting bull rushed into the quarterback all the time. Um, if he can do that, you love the length, you love the athleticism and he brings a mean demeanor in the run game, which you have to like as well. So uh there's a lot to like with Spencer Brown here. It's it's that's the main point here. Brown obviously, I think, is this year's small school prospect that will burst onto the scene because every single year there seems to be one. I mean, there is another guy, Quinn Minares, who is out of this world as well. But I really like Brown as well. I just think that with him, it's gonna be probably two years before we see him fully realize what his potential can be. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of guys that, you know, have to reach your potential or may not reach your potential, you know, because that's what the draft is all about. Can you reach your potential or not? Who are some of the guys that you think are overhyped in this class that, you know, they may have that upside there, 
but you're personally just not seeing it in terms of overall. Who's the one guy in this class that really stands out to you uh, from that aspect of things? I think I mentioned the name earlier, but I'll mention it again. It's Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. When I look at Leatherwood overall, you realize has played on the outside, has played on the inside as well of the offensive line. But just for me and Leatherwood, what it comes down to is this. He's a great run blocker. There was actually a point throughout this pre-draft process in the fall where he was considered to be a first-round guy. He's a pretty good run blocker, but sometimes just as a prospect general tends to get too too aggressive which then tends to bite him ultimately when I look at that I realize he's probably also going to be better off moving inside and kicking it to left guard or right guard in the NFL just because I don't see him being a guy with the amount of uh, over aggressiveness that he plays with sometimes I just don't think he's going to be able to hold it down at the tackle position in the NFL yeah, to me, Leatherwood's a guard. So straight up, I, I do not see him as a tackle at the next level. I know he has the length uh, to play on the outside, but the foot speed just isn't there like at all. Like at the senior bowl, for instance, like Quincy Roche from Miami, edge rusher from Miami, he beat him with speed in the one-on-one drills like every single time they matched up against each other. There's, there's nothing Leatherwood could do. He just he physically, for whatever reason, cannot continue to move his feet in pass protection there he has to stop cold at some point and that hurts him against these speed rushers so uh that's a worrisome thing for leatherwood but look at some of his traits in terms of the power in the run game and some of those things there he would be a fantastic guard though so the questions you know in terms of whether he's a where he goes in this draft you know if you're seeing him as a first round pick to be a tackle uh, i disagree with that completely um but if it's at like guard for instance you know, while I do think there are better guards in this class and you can get quality guards on day two, we've seen that happen before all the time. Uh, if you're drafting him in the first round to play guard, I can see it because I think he does have potential to be a very high-end guard in the NFL. He, he isn't a tackle in my opinion, though. The foot speed just isn't there. And I, I think that's a major question mark for him as he goes to the NFL here. In terms of you know, my overhyped player here, I kind of, it was between two guys here. Um, and the reason for both of these guys are kind of similar in that uh, two players that, you know, just there's a lot of physical talent to work with, but either due to injuries or opting out or, you know, whatever, there's limited tape to work with here. And thus you question them because their tape that they showed and the limited action that they did have wasn't very good and, and that's so you guys are walker little of stanford and jalen mayfield out of michigan now I'll, I'll focus a little bit more on mayfield since walker little uh he's even more of a mystery because he tore his acl in the first game of 2019 um after starting his freshman year i believe in 2018 and then he opted out of 2020 to train for the nfl draft so he's he hasn't played in two years, so he's a complete mystery. We don't know where he's at physically at this point. So it's kind of hard to judge him because the only film we've seen of him is from his freshman year. So how much can you really glean into that? Um, because we've seen these guys, these tackles get better over time. You'd hope so, at least. Um, so you don't want to put too much stock into it, but I'll, I'll say this Little's tape, his freshman year in 2018, didn't impress me all that much, if I'm being quite honest here. But May, Mayfield... He has more recent tape. He played in 2019. Um, he played two games in 2020. And what worries me about Mayfield, it's the same thing with Leatherwood here. Uh, playing at right tackle for Michigan, 
the foot speed and pass protection, just very clunky feet, uh, struggles with, you know, speed rushers on the edge there. And while I think he does has a, has a nice profile to be a, a good run blocker uh, in the NFL at right tackle, his struggles in pass protection are pretty apparent, I think, in my opinion. Um, you know, like I said, you know, in the two games he played this year, they weren't against high-end pass rushers in the Big Ten either. I think he played Minnesota and Michigan State, and neither of those teams have high-end pass rushers in this class or in classes going forward, at least in my from what I've heard and seen. So uh, Mayfield, I have just major questions there. He didn't test well his pro day, so I think he projects better to the guard similar to Leatherwood here, but I've seen some first round buzz on him as a, as a you know, first round talent in this class. And I just do not see it because uh, the lack of foot speed on the edge, I, I think he's a guard and, you know, I'm not drafting a guard that isn't, you know, as doesn't have elite tr- physical traits in the first round, uh, in, at least in my opinion. Well, Walker literally right is just complete toss-up because I don't even think that he's totally NFL ready. I think that if the offer opportunity was there for him to even go back to school for another year and just return to Stanford, he should have done that instead. But just talking about Jalen Mayfield here, this is a player that you're right, has garnered first-round attention. I've had my eye on for the longest of time as well because every single year there's that kind of crop of players that you think can just sneak into the first round if they have an improved season. Mayfield, to me, overall, he's had some really good moments while at Michigan, but at the end of the day, there just has not been enough that he's shown in terms of foot speed, as well as just consistency as a player to even warrant going ahead and being a first-round selection. I Overall, out of all the players we talked about today, I think that one of the biggest players that's going to slide is going to be Jalen Mayfield. I just don't see a case where just because he is a physical athlete, he's a really good athlete, has these great physical skills that, you know what, he ends up just completely excelling in the pros because it's more about physical profile. You have to look at technique, foot speed, arm length, you know, pad level, things of that nature. And there's just a whole laundry list of things that I'm not even sure, or I don't think Mayfield necessarily even excels at to warrant being a first round pick, let alone being a franchise caliber guy at the next level. Like some people say he is. Yeah, hundred percent agree. You know, it's, it's tough because both of those are, it, it's just small sample size. So what can you really glean from their tape there? But a lot of that's just projection. And personally, I, I just, I just don't see it personally at this point. So that's where I'm at with those two. And, but we'll see, because I think both those guys are candidates to be drafted on day two and, you know, best of luck to them because I think there are, there is some talent there to work with. It's just a matter of situation and what coaches can do to get the most out of them. Uh, all right. That brings us to the final section here for this episode. And that's going over what are, what we think the better strategy should be to address offensive tackle in this class, because you look at their situation currently, they do not have an offensive tackle currently under contract in 2022. You have Charles Lionel going to the final year of his deal. Uh, you re-signed Jermaine Effetti on a one-year cheap deal because, you know, he, he played solid football near the end of last season at right tackle. So uh, they brought him back in a one-year deal to see if he can maybe continue that there. And then they signed Elijah Wilkinson to a one-year minimum contract in free agency to kind of be their swing tackle for this year. So if you're looking at things from a short-term perspective, they're fine at the tackle position in the meantime, 
but you know, in terms of an upside standpoint and long term here, there is an, a, a glaring hole here at the offensive tackle spot on both sides um, for the Bears here. Left tackle, right tackle, it doesn't matter. They need to get more young talent in here. So this is something that needs to be a top priority for the Bears, in my opinion, whether it's in the first round if they don't go after a quarterback, whether they go after a quarterback and they need to get a guy in the second or third round, um, they need to get another tackle in here because you cannot go into 2022 without a young tackle, in my opinion, on the roster developing here as a starter. Uh, that would just be a recipe for disaster with where they're at. So uh, if they don't go quarterback, I think their first goal here should be get off as a tackle in the first round. I mentioned it already, but Cosme and Jenkins are the two names I'm looking at for here the most. I think those are two that will be most likely available to them. It's just a matter of, you know, do they want to replace Leno here in the short term? You'd go with the guy like Cosby, I think, because he could step in right away and start. I don't know if he'd be great in his, as a rookie, but um, he could start on day one. You could cut Leno, save some cap space, and move on there. Or do you go for a guy like Jenkins who, you know, can step in right away at right tackle. You kick Jermaine Fetty inside the right guard. You move, uh, you know, James Daniels to center then. I would assume in, the, in that situation because um, both those guys, I think can't start right away. It's just a matter of kind of what position you want to fill there immediately, whether it's left tackle or right tackle in that scenario. When I look at the Bears situation overall, when it comes to the offensive line, there's no doubt in my mind that they're going to have to take an offensive tackle in this class. Charles Leno Jr. is the oldest player of this starting five. He's not going to be here forever. He's got a void year, which kicks in sometime in February, 2022. Cody White here is your best offensive lineman right now. James Daniels is going to go into a contract year. And really with him, it's kind of been, he can't necessarily stay healthy, but when he's healthy, he's one of the best offensive linemen for the Bears. And then you have Alex Bars, you have Sam Mustafir, you have Jermaine Ifedi. I really think that they're going to take an offensive tackle at 20th overall in round one if they don't trade up for a quarterback because it is the Bears' biggest non-quarterback need, or they're going to take someone in the second round at 52nd overall. When you look at pace overall, offensive line, and especially the tackle positions, it's been something that he's consistently neglected for years because you signed Bobby Massey to a contract in 2016. You extend him in 2018 after the Bears had that 12-4 and season, but then really Massey fell off from there. And then as soon as Kyle Long retired, the entire unit just took a step back, a major step back. Ultimately, they need to get some young, fresh faces on the line that they're going to build around. And I know they have guys like Lucavius Simmons and Arlington Hambright. Those are just two seventh-round picks that they took flyers on. I mean, Pace has never drafted an offensive lineman in round one. The highest he's even drafted an offensive lineman has been White, Hair, and Daniels in round two in 2016 and 2018. So this is a positional group that overall you just can't neglect because your roster this offseason as well as next offseason is entering a bit of a transition phase where it's going to be a lot more of out with the old and in with the new type of situation that the Bears are going to be in, especially for offensive line because teams have shown that once you hit on a solid starting five, you're pretty much set for like a decade at least, or not even a, not a decade, I should say, but at least seven, eight years. Yeah. Like you said, it's, they're going into a bit of a transition period. I don't know if you can call it a, a full on rebuild here. Uh, we'll see what 
uh, the future, it kind of, I guess it kind of depends on what they do to, to address quarterback, I guess, in that sense of things, but they need an influx of young talent here. And it starts up front. Like you said, they're getting older on the offensive line. They're starting to see these contracts run out. They need to get younger there. They need to get more talent there. They just need to bolster that unit as a whole. And, you know, it's an old saying, but games are won and lost in the trenches. And over the last two years, we've seen the offensive line, you know, has been a bit of an issue for them at times and has held them back from winning games, especially in 2019. I think in 2020, they did have that issue middle of the season where they had a bunch of injuries and COVID hit them. Um, I thought they were fine for the most part last year, but, you know, do you want to be just fine or do you want to actually be, you know, have that be a strength for your offense? I think you want to get that position to a point where it's an actual strength for you. And if you're going into 2020, you know, too, like I said, with, you know, nobody under contract for you. uh, Well, guess what? You're going to either have to spend significant draft capitals to address it in next year's draft, or you're going to be spending a a lot of money to get, you know, to fill those positions with, you know, starting caliber players because tackles aren't cheap. So um, yeah. So if you can get a guy in the first two rounds here, I think that would be ideal. If they want to double dip at at the position, I could see that being a possibility as well. Maybe get a guy in the first round, maybe get a guy, you know, later then in the fifth or sixth round there just to kind of develop and, and see what you can find out of them. You can never take too many shots at those type of players. But, yeah, we'll see what happens there with that. At the end of the day, I think we all agree that it needs to be addressed and it cannot be ignored. Pace cannot go another year ignoring the position because he had his chance last year to draft Josh Jones out of Houston in the second round. I thought that would have been the smart move at the time. He did not go that direction. He went with Cole Komet and Jalen Johnson instead. And now we're stuck in this position to where he's kind of, you know, back against the wall here and, you know, needs to make a pick here, needs to make a move. So we'll see what happens there when we get the draft night. All right. I think it's a good time to wrap up this episode of the Picks for Pays podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pays to get some of our updates on there. Uh, you said, where can they follow you on Twitter and find your work? Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter and find my work at Usaid Koshal. Check out my work on the Bear Report as well. I just dropped two articles this past week detailing top five quarterback prospects for the Bears as well as top five wide receivers for the Bears. Absolutely. Um, And then for me, you can follow me on Twitter at AJFreeman25. You can find my work on the Bear Report as well. I can be dropping as much draft content as I can as we uh, head into this thing over the next two weeks or so. Um, also, you know, if you're looking for film breakdowns on YouTube, go check out the Bearport YouTube channel. I just dropped my latest uh, film room episode, breaking down what I saw of Andy Dalton over the last few years. So if you want to check that out, make sure you go visit the uh, Bearport YouTube channel and check that out for yourself. Uh, I want to thank our listeners once again for tuning in on all podcasting platforms. And then with you know really two episodes here before the draft, that's what it's looking at look what it's looking like for us here. Uh, look, look out for another mock draft coming up here as we prepare for the NFL draft and our pre-draft special coming up as well before the draft kicks off. So keep an eye out for that, Bears fans. Until then, have a great weekend and bear down. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. 
Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.